0: We're going to be studying First Corinthians chapter one, verse ten. Really, just this one verse, but I'm going to read to you verses ten through seventeen, so we can get a fuller context of the verse. But you'll need to find it in your Bibles because Tom messed up the computer. Back, I mean, the computer got messed up, so we can't project anything. I am kidding. That was my computer's fault. So do find First Corinthians chapter one in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'm sure you've got it on your phone or there's a, a black Bible in front of you in the pew. It's going to be good to look at this together as we study it. You know, before I read it, actually, I had a little moment of decision there. Um, you know, I'm always thinking as a pastor how to improve. As a pastor, how to improve our church. Um, through my responsibilities as your pastor, this is all pastors think about if you, any conversation I get into with pastors, this is immediately what we talk about. How are things going? Um, what, what are you doing right now to try to serve your church? How's that going? What new endeavor, what new program, what new thing are you trying? Um, we're all always wanting to improve and move forward as a church and there are, Scores, endless scores of blogs and books and podcasts on the subject of how churches can move forward and grow or rebuild after a hard season or, or just refresh themselves or plant new churches. It's a huge topic of conversation. Um, what's very helpful to do is to return to the source because it can get very noisy as you, as you read and as you listen to all these different uh, tips and suggestions. That's sort of what we're doing as we study 1 Corinthians. We're returning to the source, uh, reading in God's word a letter that he gave to a specific church. And because it was canonized in scripture, we know that it was paradigmatic for us today, the church. So last week we began 1 Corinthians and we saw that the church is imperfect, but has been given a holy calling and everything necessary to fulfill that calling. So how do we fulfill that calling as an imperfect church? Well, we're going to sort of follow Paul's train of thought and where he starts and where we'll start is by pursuing agreement, pursuing agreement. Now there's there's two kinds of agreement before we read this passage together. There's a passive sort of agreement among a church body and an active sort of agreement among a church body. We're aiming for the active sort of agreement. Passive agreement is where... I sit back, and I have my way of thinking and my opinions, and I say, if you think like me and decide like I do, then we'll, we'll agree and be united. Otherwise, we're not going to be. You know, As soon as you correct yourself and think like I do, then we can, be, we can walk together as one, as a unit. Now, active agreement says, okay, we don't exactly think the same way here or come to the same conclusions but we're brothers and sisters in Christ, so let's sit down and work toward agreement, work toward unity. That's what we're shooting for. That's what Paul is trying to get the Corinthian church to do. That's what God wants us to do. So let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, as I mentioned before, we're going to focus on the very first verse of what I just read, verse 10. So I want to read that again. I want you to look at it in your Bibles. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, the way I want to give this passage to you this morning is in two, two bits, two parts. The appeal and the agreement. So we'll start with the appeal. We'll, we'll just look at, at how this message is coming to us, what the form of this appeal takes, because I think that's really important. The appeal to be in agreement, and then we'll look at the agreement itself. What does he mean by be agreement? What does that mean for us? Because I doubt any of you walked in here this morning thinking, I hope Matt preaches on agreeing with one another. It's not one of our felt needs, That's one reason I like to preach through books, because if I only preach on our felt needs, we'll never hit the full counsel of the word, which is what God tells me to do. So we'll start with the appeal. I want you to notice that the appeal is direct, it's familial in tone, and it's authoritative. Okay, the appeal that we're receiving today is direct, familial, and authoritative. It's direct. He says, I appeal to you. Now, there's two different ways as a parent that I can try to get my children to do something. Okay, way number one is me in the kitchen in the front of the house doing whatever I'm doing. The kids clambering around the back of the house doing all the stuff that they get into doing. Making all the messes, making all the racket, doing their thing. And me shouting from the front of the house, Okay, stop what you're doing, brush your teeth, put on your pajamas, clean up your rooms, get in your bed, get your Bibles. It's bedtime. Now, what percentage do you think is the success rate with that sort of appeal? They're back there doing their thing. They, For all I know, they didn't even hear me. Now, there's another way. And in the other way is I go back to the back of the house, and I get Elias, and I get Lillian, and I pull them together, and I get down at eye level. Did y'all hear my knees pop when I bent down? And Elias is like right here, and Lillian's right here. And I, I – I, hands on their shoulders, and I look them in the eyes – And I say, kids, it's past bedtime. I want you to do three things. I want you to brush your teeth. They're looking at me, okay. I want you to get your Bible, okay. I want you to get in your beds. What are the three things I need you to do? Brush your teeth, get our Bible, get in the bed. Yes, so let's do it. Now, what do you think the percentage of that getting a response is? Really good. The kid, if, I, if I will take the time to really appeal to them clearly, they'll usually respond. They're good kids. Now, what we have here is God getting down on our level and, and putting his hand on our shoulder, and he's looking us in the eyes, and he's saying, you guys, Doolin's Grove Church, I have an appeal for you. That's actually what the Greek is. It's not a, a word translated appeal. It's a phrase it, it's, uh, um, no, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. That's agreement. This is a word, it's, it's the word close up and call put together. So it's like he's, he's coming back to the back of the house and he's getting close up to us. This is something he really wants us to do. He's specific about it. Okay. Now, what that means is we have to respond. Okay. We have to either submit to what he is now asking us to do or reject it. Those are your only two options when you receive that direct of an appeal from God himself. And ignoring it or forgetting it is rejecting it. Okay? So there really are only two. It's not that you can submit to it, reject it, or forget it. Forgetting it is rejecting it. That's what I would say to my kids. after I, If I come back in five minutes and they're still running around screaming and yelling, the teeth are unbrushed, they've not gotten in their beds, their Bible's still laying over there, And they say, Oh, I forgot. Oh, you, you rejected what I told you to do. and went back to what you wanted to do. Okay. So we're kind of on dangerous ground right now. Y'all came in here and you're hearing the appeal now. So there's no turning back. We're going to have to respond to this. It's a direct appeal from God himself. Now, lest that seem cold and uh, demanding, I want you also to notice that it's, familial in tone. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you, brothers. Now, there's a different way of relating to siblings and colleagues. Do you guys relate to your siblings different from your colleagues, you who are in the workforce? You know, if you receive an appeal from a colleague, you are sort of under a, a contractual obligation to you know, respond in a certain way. You want to be professional. Now, when you receive an appeal from a sibling, there's more than just obligation that there's heart to it. This is my brother. This is my sister. Now, I know some of you may have strained relationships with your siblings, but that's generally how families work. If my brother calls me and has some issue and he needs help, has some appeal for me, I'm going to listen with more heart than I would, you know, some, some associate or some acquaintance. Okay, so this appeal is coming to us with, with direct specificity, but also with familial warmth. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're family. Even if you don't like it sometimes. Tough, just like biological family. Tough. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> this is the card you've been dealt. You know, we're, we may be dysfunctional at times, but we are a family. It's direct, it's familial, it's also authoritative. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you invoke that when you're making appeal, you mean business. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal to you, brothers. That's authority. Now, to give you another parenting illustration, as you see, I've been thinking a lot about parenting, obviously. There'll be times when Meredith will be, you know, up to her elbows and cooking and stuff in the kitchen. I'll be off at some meeting or something. And she needs the kids to set the table. Now, she can't shout loud enough effectively to get Elias in the back of the house to come forward and do that. But Lillian's right there. So she'll say, Lillian, I need you to go get your brother and tell him I said to help you set the table. So then little little six year old, cute, adorable Lillian goes marching back there. Now, when she says, Elias, stop what you're doing. Come with me. Help me set the table. She's not standing on her little Lillian authority. She's standing on the authority of mom herself. So Elias' decision is not, should I submit to or reject Lillian's authority? is should I submit to or reject mom's authority? And again, he'll usually come on. And it's not because Lillian wants him to, even though he might do that for her, but because he knows she's delivering a message from the authoritative mom. All right. What we have here is Paul delivering a message to us from the authoritative Lord Jesus Christ. It's an appeal based on a shared, recognized authority. He's our Lord, and he has taught some things that lead me to make this appeal to you. This is, in essence, what all preaching and teaching is, by the way. It's just people like me uh, this morning, Ron in Sunday school, or Richard, or or Miss Rhonda for the kids, sitting in that chair, in that chair behind that podium up here, not on our own authority, but by the authority, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we come up here and we say, God has said this. That's what should make you know, preaching and teaching exciting to hear. Now, I know I'm not the most exciting preacher or teacher. I'm well aware of that. I have a vocal range that's like this much. And I don't, I don't go above it or below it. I have at times tried to work on that and it feels so unnatural. I've just given up. So I'm sorry. This is the tone of voice you will be hearing until I die or you fire me. So what should make this exciting isn't is isn't how uh, dynamic I am. I mean, I, I do want to try to give you the message in a way that you'll receive it. But what's exciting about what's happening here is that it's not my message. It's the message of God himself insofar as I am faithfully delivering to you what this says. Now, if at any time I or Ron or Richard or Miss Rhonda strays from this authority onto some hobby horse of our own that has no connection with the authority of the word of God, then you, you absolutely have every right to tune us out. You know, the, the wisdom of Matt Broadway is not worth a whole lot. Okay, I have nothing to give you up here of myself. All I have is what God has said, but there's nothing more important than this. There's nothing more important than this. And you remember that you remember that when you listen to me, because I'm serious. If, if you begin as, as, as I continue as your pastor, if, if I begin to veer away from faithfully sticking tight to this word, as I hope I am, as I try to, you need to talk to me. You need to address it. You need not, as a church, ever tolerate someone who will stand up here and give you their opinions on things, divorced from God's word, even if it's me. Okay, even if in Sunday school, if it's Ron, who we all respect greatly, or Jeff, if if they are veering off of the authority of God's word, it needs to be addressed. It's very serious. You know, preachers and teachers have been giving, given a holy privilege to deliver God's word. I, I'm Lillian, you're Elias, and I'm saying... Our, parent, our, our mutually recognized authority has said for me to come and tell you this. And as you're listening to preachers and teachers on TV and radio, have your Bibles open. Because there's lots of people out there who have mega popular ministries. Because they're charismatic personalities and they have a, a tasty candy message. This is what you need to hear. That it really has nothing to do with the main point of my sermon. God, through Paul, through Matt Broadway, right now is, is directly, warmly, authoritatively appealing to us to agree. To agree. Now, I know that seems like a strange thing to be hearing a sermon on right now, because to my knowledge, we don't have any great divisions springing up among us. But I think it is important for us to hear. So we've looked at the appeal. Let's look at the agreement. Now, there's three things I want you to notice about the agreement. It's comprehensive, it's verbal, and it's complete. Okay, the agreement that God is appealing to us to pursue is comprehensive, verbal, and complete. So the reason I say it's comprehensive is the beginning of verse five. No, well, not verse five. I'm sorry, I'm a bit sleep deprived. Uh, We've been taking shifts, staying overnight at the hospital. So if you notice me like trip, over here when I try to tell Meredith, I came up here to tell Meredith, will you dismiss the kids um, after the doxology? And then I remember, no, wait, I'm doing the prayer of Thanksgiving, then I'll dismiss the kids. And then I try to turn around, like trip. If, if you're noticing these things, my inability to speak, that's why, okay? Just so we're on the same page. The reason I say that this agreement is comprehensive is for what he says halfway through verse 10. He says, I appeal to you brothers... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. That all of you agree. Now, he's writing to a really messed up, dysfunctional church full of people on every point on the spectrum of maturity in Christ. I mean, there are people really messed up in sin. There are more mature Christians, all sorts of different people. And he's appealing to them to all agree. All. Now one thing I think we need to watch out for as a church is they language. They See within the church there's a sense in which there there is never a they among us. I remember early on after some board meeting we had some some issue we were talking about. It wasn't anything real serious. It wasn't a contentious thing, but there was just different perspectives on it. And even in any church even little things can become contentious if we're not communicating well. And I remember after the meeting, I don't think we, we fully got it resolved. And somebody was talking to me and they said, I don't know why they think like that. And as we talked, we thank God got this moment of clarity. There's no they. I mean they, it's us. It's not, it's not we and they. We are all us. So watch out for they language. Watch out for thinking. Why are they like that? Why do they like that? Why do they think like that? Watch out for they talk. See, Paul wants agreement among all of us. God wants agreement among all of us. You know, it's it's one thing for the senior citizens to all think and, and have similar opinions and, and have agreement among themselves, but not pursue that same level of agreement with the other generations of the church. That's not good. It's not good for the uh, the country folks to have a, a level of unity among themselves, but not pursue that same level of unity with more suburban or urban folks in a church. You know, as Charlotte continues to creep out. We might get more urban in our demographic. Are y'all ready for that? Can we handle that? Can we pursue agreement and unity with people who come from a dramatically different lifestyle than ours? It's not okay for the, the women to have a level of unity among themselves but not pursue that same level of unity with the men or the, the intellectual thinkers to have a level of unity and agreement among themselves but not pursue that with the more emotional thinkers or, or traditional thinkers. Um, it's not okay for the church leadership to have a level of unity and agreement but not pursue that with everybody else in the church. All of us united in agreement. That's the goal. No man left behind in disunity. It's comprehensive and it's verbal. This is what I almost told you a minute ago about a Greek phrase that's translated into one English word, agree. What we have in our Bibles as agree is not one Greek word that means agree in the way we understand it. It's a Greek phrase. It's an idiom. It means speak the same. If you were to translate it literally, it would say, speak the same. So what does he mean to speak the same? Well, that's handy. Paul actually addresses that directly in verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So there were things being said in the church. There was spoken allegiance to specific church leaders. And the allegiance was being chopped up and divided up among these church leaders. And Jesus Christ was just one among these. He was shoulder to shoulder in people's spoken allegiance with Paul and Cephas and Apollos. And Paul, God through Paul is saying, I need you to agree. I need you to say the same thing. I don't need you each saying that you follow these different people. I need you to come to agreement. We need to speak in light of the fact that our highest allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It not get splintered off in all these little fan clubs of different teachers or different theologies or different church movements. Now, the most immediate application of this is simple. Don't proclaim allegiance to specific church leaders in such a way that it compromises our unifying allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't sense that being a big issue among us. Uh, I do sense that being an issue among church leadership at large. You know, some people will read certain theologians and pastors and authors books, but not this other set of theologians and authors. And then when they meet somebody who they read these books and they don't read these books, there is an invisible barrier there where it's like, well, I'm in this tribe, you're in that tribe. You know, I I follow John Piper. I follow Rob Bell or whoever, not Rob Bell anymore. If you know who he is, his, his whole thing exploded. But for us, I think it's a, a good warning, maybe ahead of time, beware of celebrity culture infiltrating the church. Again, I don't think it's a big issue for us immediately, but it's something to be aware of. Beware of celebrity culture infiltrating the church. You'll you'll see, you know, as you get more serious about studying the Bible and you want to read other books or listen to other sermons, there are celebrity pastors out there. You know, crowds go crazy over them. You have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to get them to come and speak at your conference. And then people line up to get autographs from them. Um, You know, they'll have personalized websites with their name on them, the big picture of their smiling face on it. And they're branding themselves because we have... At large in the church, i really welcome the celebrity culture. You know, If I ever launch a website called mattbroadway.com and it's got my face on it real big when you go to it, somebody come and have a frank conversation with me. And we we laugh because that would be silly for me because, you know, I'm, I'm not a celebrity pastor. But a lot of people see these celebrity pastors and they think, I want to do that. I want to be famous like that. Yeah, a lot of young ministers, people in seminary, idolize these guys. Now, another reason I think this is applicable to us is because we, as a church, went through a church split. It's been a while now. Uh, There's a lot of water that's passed under the bridge, but we did go through a church split. And I say we because I'm one with you now, even though I wasn't here during the split. But many of you were. Some of you were not. Um... I do not know all the de- – I do not understand all the details of it, and I don't know that anybody does. But if we can sure up our foundation, hopefully we can guard against that ever happening again. Because I do think there was an element of I follow this church leader. I follow this church leader. Okay? If there's ever – okay, never mind. I'm getting ahead of myself again. Okay. No, I'll go ahead and say it. It makes sense to say here. If there is ever a controversy among Doolins Grove Church, and in the midst of that controversy, it seems clear to you that I have a certain mindset, other church leadership has another mindset, and there's confusion, there's a mantra I want you to remember. And that mantra is We follow Jesus. Okay, we follow Jesus. Okay, we'll we'll follow Matt insofar as he is ahead of us in following Jesus. Okay, we'll follow our church board insofar as they are ahead of us in following Jesus. We'll follow those um, more mature Christians in the church that we respect insofar as they are ahead of us following Jesus. But we together, our endeavor is not to is not to uh, our only endeavor is to follow Jesus together. Okay, so you know, I, if I bump my head, I go crazy, I start causing all kinds of controversial trouble in the church, or I don't. I just get sucked into something like like people do. I mean, I'm fallible. If I buy into some false teaching, something terrible happens. What's the mantra? We follow Jesus, okay? We follow Jesus. Now, the agreement we're after is comprehensive, verbal, but it's also complete. And that's where we get into the last half of the verse and we'll start to land the plane. I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. See how complete that is? Now, the language used here was language commonly used regarding fishing nets. You know, fishing was a major industry back then, and they used big nets. Okay, so the word for division was also used for a tear in the net. And the word for unity was used for mending the nets. So, when for for example, when Jesus was walking along and he saw some fishermen out mending their nets and called them to come follow him. It's the same word used here for unity. Okay, so the idea is when a church begins to get divisions, it's like a fishing net getting getting ripped, getting t- tears in it, getting torn. Okay, when a church works on rebuilding unity, it's like fishermen mending a net, trying to get it put back into one solid, seamless piece. Now, Let's use again the example of our church split. Okay, many of you still are disconnected from relationships that you really enjoyed before the church split. And it really was as if if, it, if Doolin's Grove was like a quilt and you guys are all on there. It's like rips, torn, shredded, torn up, and now you, you don't fit together anymore like you once did. That happens in churches, and it could potentially happen to us again if we don't guard against it. So what we have now is not one whole net. What we have are two separate nets. You know, some were ripped off of here, and now they're over there. They they have sort of mended, and they, they've got a tattered net over there, and we've got a tattered net over here. But it was supposed to be one net mended back together. You know, and I have to say, it was not a church plant. It was a church split. And some of you know what I'm referring to. You know, there's a lot of they, they, they language. Instead of we got confused, we lost our way, we accepted division, we need to reunite, we need to confess our sins, we need to humble ourselves. Now, if we start to see tears coming in our fabric, again, grow. We we cannot accept division. It is not an option. Okay? It is not an option. We follow Jesus. We can remain united. We can pursue agreement. Now, how do you guard against tears in the net and how do you mend them when they do begin? I think what Paul alludes to here is that it starts with our thinking and our judging. He says, be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Our mind, our thinking, our, our, the way we think, our judgment is our opinions, the conclusions we come to. Paul says, you, to mend, to stay united is to, to come together in how we think and, And our conclusions, our judgment, okay? It's pretty simple. You know, often we want the same thing in our hearts, but our minds are, our mindsets are different and we don't think the same ways. And so we think that we fully disagree with each other, but we don't. We, we all want to follow Jesus. We all want to honor God. We all want to see the church be healthy. Our hearts are in the same place. Just the way we're thinking sometimes is not the same. And therefore our opinions, our judgments, our conclusions end up different, But that's not anything we can't ever work through Now again, I want to stress to you I'm not preaching this because I'm aware of some Deep division going on in the church I'm preaching this because I decided Through prayer that we're going to move through 1 Corinthians And this is where it is But I think it's really good to talk about this Out ahead of anything that might come up So when it does come up We can remember these principles Or at least remember, wasn't there something in 1 Corinthians That might help us through this Let's look at that together I believe that Any two Christians on any given day can pray, study the Bible, and talk their way together on any issue. I don't think there's any issue that two Holy Spirit-indwelled Christians cannot come together toward. I've been thinking a lot about weddings lately. Um, officiated a wedding two weeks ago Clint and Casey, they should be back from their honeymoon I think, or on their way back This coming weekend I get to officiate another wedding Blake and Jordan Right here And we're going to have prayer for you guys at the end of the service Hope that's okay And then not long after that, Scott and Jessica And we've got a lot of momentum Anybody else wanting to get married? I see the boyfriends and girlfriends Like edging apart a little bit I've been thinking a lot about Marriage and with all these couples, I've been talking deeply about Ephesians chapter 5, which is the cornerstone marriage chapter. And I want to share it with you. And it's talking to husbands, how husbands ought to love their wives. It's supposed to be a a parallel of how Jesus loves the church. But listen listen to how Jesus loves the church in Ephesians 5.25. And we're going to close with this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And now look at what Jesus has done for the church. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus gave himself up. For the church, for us, and the church at large. He gave himself up for us. And his heart's desire is that the church be presented to him in the, in the final day, holy and blameless and intact and cleansed and without spot, without wrinkle, definitely without rips and tears. You know, no bride wants to walk down the aisle with their dress ripped up. You know, the church is God's greatest project. We've got to treat it gently. We've got to take it seriously. I remember one time I was a very sloppy student, especially in math. I was not very good at math. And I remember in middle school one day I decided I am at least on this assignment going to do my very best. That was rare talk for me back then. I've come a long way since that. And so I sat down and I, I worked so hard on that assignment and I wrote really neatly. I'm not naturally that neat. I wrote everything very neat and I was certain about every everything. I poured myself into that. And then this troublemaking kid came and watered it up and threw it in the trash can to practice his basketball throw. It was like sixth grade. I mean, I'm still a kid. I was, I was either going to cry or smack him or something. I was really upset. I still remember it. You know, the church is God's greatest project. I mean, he is, he is working so hard on this. He has done so much to, to get church to where it is. To do, and he's still working to develop us as a people, to purify us, cleanse us. We're, we're in progress. We're not done by any means. We're very imperfect still. But God loves the church. He loves the church deeply. So we need to love the church. And if there's ever a time that it looks as though there's there's damage creeping up in the church, there's ever a time that it seems as though relationships are getting fractured, we can't look the other way. We've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with it. The church is too precious to let rips and tears develop in it. Pursue agreement. Refuse to tolerate division. Work hard for unity. And I'll close with a a word of application to you. If, If you are torn apart in relationship from anyone in the church and think first Doolin's Grove, but think beyond that to the church at large, anyone who follows Jesus Christ. If, if there's a fracture in that relationship and you know it and you're aware of it, I want to really encourage you to pray about taking steps to resolve that taking mending steps. And it can be simple. It can just be going as a brother or sister and saying, You know, we've got this misunderstanding between us in the past that we've never really talked about. And I love you. And I know God loves us. So let's just talk about it. Let's just get back together because I miss our friendship. I miss our relationship. I miss our fellowship in Jesus Christ. Let's go have lunch, coffee, dinner, whatever. Talk through it. Pray through it. Open Bible. Work our way through it. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, the way we're going to close our service is a little different today. We're not going to have a closing song. We're going to have a closing time of prayer. And I've asked Jan to play quietly as we have this time of prayer. And then I'm going to close our time of prayer out with the benediction, and then we'll go. Um, What I'd like for us to use this time of prayer for, because I know how life gets. We're going to go out of here. We're going to go to lunch. It's going to get busy again. um, We're going to get into our busy week. And we're going to forget this message. And and maybe there is a relationship that some among us need to mend. Maybe there are some things to pray through. So I want us to do that now. Um, So just use this time to let this passage sink in a little bit. And just see, open yourself up to, are there any steps I need to take? personally. Okay? Let's bow together.